This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Taylor Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. And Taylor and I were talking about what the chit-chat was going to be prior to starting the recorder, and she told me, I, I don't want to give it away, but she said, oh, we'll talk about this, and I'm like, wait a minute, this happened? And she said, well, not really, <laughs> you just, so that's my preamble <laughs> <laughs> for today. Sometimes she assumes I know things that I don't know, or she tells me things and I forget five minutes later. So either of those was entirely possible. It's a storytelling technique, Steve. It creates the conflict and the drama. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> what I told him was, well, I lost a goose. And he went, what? And I went, well, not really. Because <laughs> yeah, I'm like, that would be big news. I would have remembered losing the goose. Yeah. So what happened was the goose went missing. And this one was the younger Francis lookalike. So this time, having learned from what happened last year, I went, huh, where's the nest? <laughs> so mm. I went around looking and I found a nest and she's been laying. Uh, it was, thankfully, her nest was in the backyard. So I don't have to worry about her sneaking off and getting eaten by something in the middle of the night. And she doesn't stay on it all the time, like with geese. When they're laying, just laying, um, they lay and then they cover it up and they wander off and they don't come back to it until they're ready to lay again or until they're ready to sit. And so I've been going in there and sneaking the eggs away. And the reason I'm doing that is, well, I don't want her to sit. I mean, I guess she'll sit, but I don't know if they're fertile or not. I've not seen any goose on goose action going down around here. Granted, it's been really hot, and I am not outside all day, so I don't know. But I am thinking to go ahead and pull my dusty incubator out of storage and just see. I've never hatched goose eggs. I've hatched so many chicken eggs and turkey eggs and guinea eggs, and but I've never done waterfowl. And I know they're a lot more complicated and... The fertility rate and blah, 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 hatch rate is all much lower. And I just, they say, you know, with the, when they very first start laying, you're not going to get good eggs or whatever. But I can't help myself. I want to try. <laughs> and so just in case maybe they're fertile, I'm thinking maybe I'm going to try incubating them. I have no idea how that's going to go. I know with chicken eggs, I can usually tell. They say you can tell by 10 days. I can tell by day five if the egg is fertile or not. Um, with yeast, they, the hatch time is much longer. So I'm guessing maybe by 10 days I would be able to tell. So I'm going to wait until she's laid like, I don't know, maybe seven, 10 eggs with chickens. That would be a week Uh, with geese. That's two weeks. And I know with chickens, the fertility, the quality of the egg is going to begin to decline if it's been stored more than seven days, like seven to 14 days. By 14 days, you're starting to push it. I mean, you can still incubate and hatch, but it's just the the number of them are 
of how many will actually take and make it all the way through just keeps dropping at that point. But I've only got one goose laying that I know of. So it's going to take that long to collect that many eggs. It's not really worth putting them in the incubator before then. So we'll see. We'll just see. That's I may or may not have something to report in two or three weeks. <laughs> so longtime listeners may remember, if, especially if you listen with headphones on the way I do when I'm editing the podcast. There was a time a few years ago when Taylor was still living in Dallas where every so often you would hear these little cheep, 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 cheeps in the background. <laughs> <laughs> and we were never allowed to say what those were. And I'd say, isn't there something we can do? Like, can't you like move them out of the room? It's like, no, no, I can't. And so that so, was uh, the background sound for several of our podcasts. Yeah. So what was happening back then is I would, when I'd come visit, I would just take a bunch of eggs back home with me. And then I had an incubator sitting in my office. And every once in a while, our record day would coincide with a hatch date. <laughs> and then chicks <laughs> break out of the shell. They're very noisy. <laughs> and, and there was nothing I could do about it. I, that, that, that incubator, it's not the one I'm going to use for the geese eggs, but that incubator was like, I don't know, 75 pounds. It's not like I could just, and it's huge, like, no, not huge for an incubator, but huge for me. It's not like I could just lift it up and go put it in a different room. It was like, no, we're stuck with this. Sorry. So, yeah. And you know, uh, that's no like, we're, we're fine with animal sounds as background yeah. for, for the show. But back then it's like, oh, we can't talk about this. No, I don't want to talk about it yet. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I have no idea where I'm going to put the incubator this time. This one, the one that I'm going to use is what I used to use as a hatcher, and it's actually a science incubator, a lab incubator, and it doesn't have any turners or anything, so I used to use it to hatch in. So I would take that when the, when you get within a certain day, certain uh, time frame, close to the hatch date, you're, you're not moving the eggs anymore. And the reason you move the eggs is to mimic how hens will turn their eggs in the nest, and it keeps the embryos from sticking to one side of the shell. So the incubator will move the eggs and then, but you don't want that to happen when you're getting close to hatch because you want them to orient inside the shell so they can find their, their air sacs and whatever. So you move, if you can stick them in the bottom of the incubator and just let them hatch down there where it's still, but then all the down and the dust just gets everywhere and cleaning it out is such a big mess. So I, I found this, science incubator, really expensive piece of machinery, brand new that somebody is just trying to get rid of. And so I was like, yeah, let me give this a try. And it worked amazingly. So I'm going to try that with the geese eggs, but it means I'm going to have to hand turn them. So we'll see how that goes. All right. So stay tuned. That may be our chit chat for the next episode. Uh, maybe a little longer because I got to collect more eggs, but it all, it could also be, yeah, they were all duds. That was the end of that. Yeah, who knows? Now, if you have a lot of different eggs, or not different eggs, but if you had a lot of eggs, can you layer them in, in the incubator? Or I do they mean, just all have could... to be on the same layer? Oh, God, you're so <laughs> good at that. It took me a second, but I caught up with you. I see what you did there as I wagged my finger at you. That was clever. Uh, to answer your question... If you're hand-turning them, you can stack them, but you can't in other ones. But anyway, layers. Okay, here we go. So today I want to talk about my writing process. And I know that 
we've talked about this throughout the years, but the other day when I was uh, writing to the Patreon group about this project that I'm working on, the to get the sneak peek done, which we talked about in last week's episode, um, I had tried to explain what I was talking about when I was like, I just need to get through these chapters to make sure the logic holds. And in trying to explain that, I kind of went into a bit of articulating about what what it's like for me when I'm writing a story. And we touched on it oh so briefly last week. So I thought, okay, let me use that post that I did as the basis for the show. And then we can talk about writing in layers because that's really what I do is I write in layers. So it started off with me talking about, hey, I need to make sure the logic holds through, right? which went into this. So for me, when I start a story, I don't actually know the whole thing. It's more like I have this idea, right? And the idea is this dark background with nothing on it. And then each layer of writing that goes on to that is like a layer of paint. And as the layers go down, the painting begins to take shape and it forms until by the time I get to the final layers, I'm just adding the finishing touches. So for me, it's the writing process itself and the process of going through those layers that helps me figure out the story. The first layer is the outline. It's just a bare bones sketch, hardly even a skeleton. And it mostly deals with plot points and broad sort of settings like, okay, it's going to be set in Japan in this city. And generalized character motivations that are driving them. So when I finish that outline, I more or less know where the story starts, kind of, sort of. And I have an idea of the general path it's going to take. I know what it's about. I know the big story beats, and I maybe have a sense of the ending, maybe. I know who the main characters are. Generally speaking, I might not have names for them, but I will know like the company boss or somebody in the company, that type of a thing, and how the most important moving pieces are connected. But I have no idea how it's all going to actually pull together or what the thousands of details that hold it, just make it what it is, what those are going to be. So last week we talked about scenes, where to start a scene, how to end it. Well, we heard me complain about it. We didn't actually learn how to do it. I don't really, I might have a couple ideas of scenes sort of maybe sketched out in my head at the outline point, but I I really don't know. It's just these connecting thoughts, sort of like pins on a pushboard with the, the threads tying them together, but that's it. It's just those threads, right? So the next layer is going to be the rough draft. And so with this, I start filling in some of the largest details for the key scenes, and I roughly sketch out the most important settings and the most important conversations. And I'm basically taking those push pins in the metaphorical pin board that tie everything together, and I'm putting thicker ribbons on them, sort of 
filling out the details a little bit. So it it definitely beefs it up, but it's still going to read more like Monroe wants this to happen because of X, but Mr. Y isn't willing to let that happen. He wants Z instead, so Monroe gets angry. She knows he's playing her, so she retaliates with. It's just this really rough telling. It's not a story. But by the time I get through that rough draft, I myself have begun to understand the shape of the story. And I start to have a better sense of how things are going to fit together from beginning to end. But but I don't have any of the texture, any of the details. There, even in there, there's no scene. There's there's no chapters. It's just here's more detail of how everything fits together. Here's just more. So after that, that's the second layer. Then comes the third layer, and that's the first draft. And the first draft for me is the hardest of all the drafts because that's where I actually have to take all the hundreds of Monroe does this, and then Monroe wants that, and Monroe goes here and there. And I have to turn that into actual scenes. I have to build these scenes and show you what is happening in them. And Monroe goes, what what could be a line of text in this rough draft that says, so Monroe goes to the city to meet with X. Where do I start that? Do I start it with her standing outside the building? Do I start it with her storming into the office? That sets the scene, right? So in this first draft, I'm actually creating the sketches for the scenes and figuring out the best way to show what's happening. And I'm creating the set pieces and the locations and choreographing the character movement and the dialogue that's going to be getting characters through the scene. So that is the hardest, hardest part of it. And that's the going to take the longest. That could be well, if you're me right now, that could be a several year process. But way back then, when I actually was good at this, I would maybe have that. It would take me about six months or, or so to get that first draft complete. And by the time it was complete, I had all the plot points in place. The characters were fairly developed. Um, the emotional beats were somewhat there. And the logic and the reasoning that drove why the characters were doing what they were doing that was all mostly there it was not pretty but the story was complete and so at that point I finally have a full understanding what's driving every part of the plot and the character decisions and how everything ties together from beginning to end not pretty but it's all there and then the second third fourth drafts whatever those are all about making it pretty and fine-tuning the story. That's when the line editing gets done, the bloat's getting trimmed. That's when I find less cheesy ways to articulate ideas. And it's also where I'm able to strengthen, clean up, change motivation, tighten the small plot beats, get the emotional conflict, sort of really get in there with that. And it's where... Anytime as we go through the writing process, like I was talking about last week, that as you write and I, well, as I write and it starts to become clear to me and all the pieces start to fit together better, later chapters might have conflicts with earlier chapters, uh, motivations, thoughts, 
even details, characters' names sometimes change along the way. And so it's in these subsequent third, fourth drafts that all of that's getting cleaned up. And these subtle, a lot of times the changes are subtle. It's like if the first draft, the rough, the, the first draft is coming in there with just like a palette knife and just smacking paint onto the paint board. With these later drafts, I'm coming in with much smaller brushes and it's all very fine tuned or a uh, scalpel versus a hatchet, you know, all those lovely metaphors. So for me, it's that second, third, fourth and onward draft where the story writing, the whole process is fun. The first draft is just pure torture. I do not enjoy any single bit of it. But once I have that first draft finished and I can get in there and start making it pretty, then it's fun. That's that's where I'm that's what I'm good at with the writing process. I'm not good with the first draft stuff. Anyway, that's how it normally works for me. But with the book that I'm working on now, what with all the stops and starts and these huge time gaps between those stops and starts. It meant that every time that I came back to it, I had to start again at the beginning, just to get reacquainted with it, blah, 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 blah. So what happened was I thought when I got back into this that I had a full outline, but I didn't. What I had was half an outline and half a rough draft. But because every time I came back to it, I went back to the beginning, I didn't even realize that I didn't have a full outline. I didn't realize I didn't have even a rough draft until I finally reached the spot where the material just dropped off and it wasn't there anymore. So the process that I'm in right now is probably as close to pantsing as I've ever gotten to any book since The Informationist. because. I did, thankfully. I uh, It was really a freak-out <laughs> moment there for a while, and I think I talked about this as part of the chit-chat or maybe even more part of an episode a bit ago. But when I I got to the where the outline material dropped off, I realized that where I thought it was going wasn't going to work. Like I didn't actually know how to make what I had already written all this time that I'd spent getting these chapters polished, like I, I, as I'd go through each chapter, I'd have to go through multiple drafts on it just to get it as close to the material that already existed up at the beginning that was already quite polished. So I spent all this time doing it and the material drops off. And then I realize it's not going to work. This, this plot is just one big, huge plot hole from here on out. So I didn't know at that point if I was going to just have to scrap the whole thing. But I took a couple of days just just think and work on jigsaw puzzles and let my mind um, just kind of cogitate. And the idea came to me just out of the blue hole. I don't even think I get any credit for it. It's just like my mind is minding its own business and it grew an extra hand and snatched it the, the answer out of the air. And I went, yay. So I do have a whole outline and I've started to build, I have rough draft material and I keep adding to that rough draft material as I get further into this and the ideas come to me. But, um, I don't, it, I don't have a full, like a whole thing like I w- would have normally. 
So it's kind of a new process for me right now. I would not advise it. It's much harder and a lot slower than if you just have the whole thing done and you just burn through that first draft and get it done. But this is kind of how it worked. So now as I get ready to get that sneak peek update put together that I was talking about last week, I have to go back and make sure like the logic holds because a lot of stuff has changed along the way. And normally I would not go back and fix that type of stuff until after I had the full draft, full first draft done, because it's kind of like eating your vegetables before you have your dessert, which I'm not actually very good at that either. But (laughs) you, if you, if you get it done, if you get that hard part done, it's like, it's over, it's done. You know, the story, and then you can kind of like take a deep breath and go back and, and fix it and make it better. But if you don't do that and you're constantly going back and fixing stuff and you don't have the end, you don't know how it all holds together. It's like this, this sword hanging over your head the whole time. So my advice is get that first draft up, just get it done, know the story, get the material finished. And then you can go back and fix and change anything that you want to fix and change. But in this particular instance, I had to go back to the beginning because so much of what I had what I'm getting ready to post, it it is, um, or maybe by the time this podcast goes live, it'll already be posted. It better already be posted. <laughs> I cannot predict the future. <laughs> I'm I'm speaking to you from the future, <laughs> from the past. Um, so I, uh, because it's been so long since I've done an update, a sneak peek update. And because this is not just tacking on new chapters where I left off, but this is an actual rewrite, there's a really good chance that a lot of the those who are going to read this advanced uh, sneak peek are going to go back to the beginning as well. So because of that, I need to make sure that at least the logic holds. It doesn't mean that every chapter has to be perfect. Every chapter has to be pretty, although I do keep hitting spots where I'm like, this is this is not right. and it has to do with, you know, inner dialogue and all that stuff. And it's really choking me a lot, but it has to, at least the logic has to hold and be consistent. And so I'm in this, this place right now where I'm torn, I'm trying to thread the needle between getting it good enough for this draft and good enough enough so that I can just move on and get back into this and not lose my place where I am. But one of the really cool things I will say about going back and reading it is that I get to see it with fresh eyes because it's been a while since I've touched some of this information, this this writing because taking me so long and to see it with fresh eyes, I realize okay, it's not as bad as I thought it was, except for the final two chapters I'm working on right now. Those are as bad as I think they are, but the other one is not so bad. And it, it, it really made me feel good about myself. And so much of this process involves a lot of not feeling good about yourself. And it's not just me. Most, most authors are like that. It's just, you know, we're the ones who produce it. And so we, we know it's coming from us and it's like, this is not as good as it should be. It's always going to feel like us. It's not going to feel like somebody else, somebody else's work. So it's like this over-familiarity with ourselves. So it's just like, ugh. So there's so much of that that comes with this process of writing. 
So to be able to look back at it and go, hey, it's actually pretty good. That was really nice, especially considering what it, this particular process has been like for me with the brain fog and, and everything else. So, um, yeah, that kind of an overview of what my writing process is like. And in a previous episode, I had talked about the need to just sort of get your brain clear to be able to, to set aside what's going on and shift into work. And there was a question in regard to that and following up to that um, from Liv in the, in the Facebook group where she asked me, well, what are some of the ways you'd get your mind clear to shift into work? And I thought this, because that's not a whole episode in itself, I thought this would be a really good time to answer that question and um, have a good laugh at me. But what I've realized over time is that I have to waste a lot of time to clear my mind and shift into work. Do not advise it. <laughs> it's not necessarily a good thing, but it's like I have to be able to have that luxury of, hey, I'm going to read some news. I'm going to see what's going on on social media. I'm going to journal a bit. And I used to really get upset at myself for what we also know as procrastination. But I began to realize that that procrastination, that time wasting is part of the process of downshifting away, getting my brain away from this massive to-do list that's always running through my head and this, in, this often impending sense of overwhelmedness of there's just so much and I'll never be able to get it all done. And, you know, my office is a mess and my living room is a mess and I need to do the dishes and I need to wash laundry and I need to pay those bills. Being able, I have to shut all that out to be able to draw into the story. And so for me, the the time waste is sort of a transition period that moves me from one to the other. Uh, thankfully, I am not so, how do you say, like into social media or into those things that I just can't pull myself back out of it again. Like after enough time, I'm just like, ugh, you know, done, done, done. And, and I, and I set it aside and it's easy for me to just open up the document and get back to work. Another thing I have found, and we talked about this years ago, is that sometimes the music, having music play will, um, tell my brain, okay, it's work time now. For a while that wasn't working anymore because I, I guess with all the brain fog and everything else going on, it was just too much. Like I couldn't handle any mental stimulation and even noise, even if it was just background music was too much. And so I had to have silence, complete silence. And even like the dog barking or, you know, horns honking or people talking in the room next door, uh, not the room next door, the room one over would be enough for me to not be able to focus and not be able to concentrate. But it's starting to fade now. The mental fog has definitely lightened up a lot. And I find that music is a really great way, again, to signal to my brain, okay, it's time to work now. And I have found, I've, I've made myself at this point, I think it's like a four hour long playlist 
of different movie soundtracks that like soundtracks from different movies that kind of hit the right signals in my brain. And I'll just every once in a while I'll hear another song and I'll I'll add it to that. So that also does help me make that mental shift from one to the next. But it's really the time wasting. Sometimes I find that if I um okay, so I can waste time, quote unquote, by showering, sweeping the floor, um, doing a jigsaw puzzle or something else that's mindless, even driving sometimes, that's a way for me to quote unquote waste time without actually wasting time. But there's only so much of that I can do. <laughs> so before it just like becomes interruptive. But if I can find something that allows me to zone out and do monotonous um, movements or whatever and let my mind daydream, then that also will help as well. So I wish I had a magic bullet. But for me, I find that what works one day might not work another. And I just it's just this constant struggle to just shut out the world and pull into the work. And that's as best as I've got to an answer of how I personally clear my mind and shift into work. All right. I want to shift back to the, your, the different layers. And one okay. quick question. The second, you, you talked about how much you hate the third layer, which is the first draft, how much you enjoy the fourth yeah. layer, which are the subsequent drafts. Yes. How, where does the second layer, the rough draft, where you're just saying Monroe goes here, M Monroe says this, um, et cetera, et cetera. So presumably that's a pretty shortish um, document. Is, is that, where's that on the fun scale? On the fun scale, <laughs> it's actually, okay, so... Up until now, that rough draft has always been part of the uh, what they call the option material, where you're telling your publisher what it is that you're sketching for them, what it is that you plan the next book to be. So in the past, that part of the process has always been associated with a little bit of mix of excitement and dread. The excitement part is, hey, another contract. I can pay the bills. The dread part is, here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is where the work starts. And am I going to be able to pull this all together? Because that's always a question. you know. And I know I'm not the only writer who goes through that. Like Every time you start, you feel like you've never done this before. Um, so it, but it is pretty fast. That part of it is pretty fast. I think it, I can usually get a rough draft done in a couple of weeks, um, based off the outline. Yeah. So it's not as bad, but it's not fun. It's just not as much torture. <laughs> okay. There we have it. So we have everything <laughs> from not as much torture. So we begin with the, all right. So now I have to ask this. So the first, the, um, the outline on the torture to not as much torture scale, does that fall in the middle or on one end or the other? I think the outline part of it where I'm setting up the ideas, that is sort of fun. And I never learn like that's where I, that, that, that's where I'm tor I'm setting up to torture myself right there. Like, cause I'm coming up with all these ideas and you know, how do these all connect? And I'm starting to get like, okay, I got this, is how I'm going to make this next book work. And it's, it's like, 
I'm sitting there with my evil grin going, how can I make her life more difficult? But I'm doing it to myself. Um, so it's, it's fun until it's not anymore. At that point, it's like, oh, great. Now I actually have to do this. And that's when it starts getting hard. All right. Well, this, is, this has been interesting. Uh, so thank, thank you guys very much for listening. We will be back with you again next Tuesday. Thanks for being here, guys. See you next week.